Welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 3, issue 140V, Fever, Piñata, Trouble and Paradise. You can play along with Cane and Rinse, volume 3. The next five issues are The Last of Us, and that's also going to include some talk on the recently released Last of Us Remastered, uh, Gunpoint, Brutal Legend, Team Fortress 2, Medal of Honor, Allied Assault. Head to caneandrinse.com for the full schedule, the blog and links to our merchandise store, Facebook page, Google Plus and YouTube channel. Please subscribe, review and rate us on iTunes. Joining me, Tony Hustachio Atkins, in this issue is Darren Pretztail Gargett. You stole the Hustachio. Yes. Uh, Ryan Quackerberry Haman. That was my nickname in college. I knew that. Uh, and Gary Fizzly Bear Blower. I can't think of anything witty for that one. <laughs> my, unfortunately, Liz, my wife said he, Gary has to be Fizzly Bear. So Sounds right. It okay. just it, well, it feels right. It fits. My daughter's called Immy Bear, so I suppose it's appropriate. <laughs> ah, this is how I knew this. <laughs> so yes, um, this is a show all about Viva Piñata. Now, obviously, there was well, for those who don't know, there's been four somewhat releases in this series: uh, two mainstay games, um, a DS version, and a party game, um, stroke kart racer thing. <laughs> um, so, Viva Piñata first released in 2009 on the Xbox 360 and on PC in 2007. We're also going to talk about that, so we'll move past that. But Viva Piñata Party Animals released on the Xbox 360 in November 2007. That shared links with uh, the TV show, which came out around the same time. That the TV show was between 2006 to 2008. Actually, had. 52 episodes if you can believe it or not wow wow uh, they're only short they're like 15 minute long mm. episodes um and yet uh, the tv show itself made some of the more i don't know fun characters from the game you know more prevalent in the tv show uh, gave them voices made them these big loud brash very american very <laughs> in your face um you know kids on pop tarts for breakfast and lunch and dinner um, I actually didn't mind the TV show. I have to say, I thought it was kind of funny. I liked the PV. I liked the the characters um, in the game. So it was, it was interesting to see how larger than life their voices would be. But I know Gary wasn't yeah, a no. huge fan. Well, they're not. The thing is, in the game, they're not characters. You you create the characters in the mm-hmm. game. Um, these were characters based on species from the game. The, I think the only game they actually featured as characters in was Party Animals. So really, those are the two that are closely linked. But this was, you know, Microsoft were trying to do what Activision successfully did with Skylanders, basically. Mm. They wanted to create a brand that they could then, you know, uh, that was aimed at the kind of 5 to five to 11-year-old market, and mm-hmm. they could sell everything from cereals to cuddly toys and obviously video games. It has to be said, when, when Viva Piñata first came out, there was this big push, and it was Microsoft at the time were really pushing their family, kind of, you know, the Xbox isn't just shooters, it's for the, all the family. And so they had lots of stuff like that, scenic box office smash, etc. And then, yeah, there was, you know, plushy toys you could get along with this with the TV show, and they really went down that route. And we'll talk about whether the game was the right game to push that stuff. Uh, graphically, maybe. Or aesthetically, maybe. But maybe hmm. mechanically. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yes, the um, Viva Piñata Party Animals was more of a, a, a link to the TV show stuff. So you, you had the characters in there which, which talked more. There was more of a kind of quirky storyline through it. But it was um, a competent 
puzzle cart stroke cart racer. Now it may not have been the Mario Party that Gary probably loves. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and I could see the issues there, but I, I think you know, as a it was it was developed by Chrome Studios, which you know is you know, I think they're just about still in business, but seem to have gone out mostly out of business. But they created Tiger the Tasmanian Tiger. Uh, they're involved with a lot of the Spyro, the Dragon stuff, and seen it box office smash and and are uh, the ill-fated game room. Um, so a, a decent studio, and it, I thought it was a, a reasonable game, to be honest. Yeah, it's just not what I wanted from that franchise, and that sounds quite selfish of me. But Viva Pinata for me has always been the garden sim, and to see them, those characters should be used for more than just you know a garden, you know, god game simulator. But um, in my eyes, you know, I, I, don't, I didn't really want a, an average. Mario Party slash minigame collection. Again, the problem with it was that they were using species in the game to create characters, and you know it didn't really work. And and the minigames were, like you said, they were they were serviceable, but yeah, it, yeah. I mean, in comparison to the mighty Mario Party, and <laughs> obviously <laughs> uh, paling, you know, insignificant. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've I, I played it and enjoyed it. I mean, I like party games, but um, yeah, it was okay. I, to be honest, a load of the TV stuff is in that. You get loads of clips and cutscenes and hmm. unlocks from the TV show in it, which, you know, I think that also has, a, has a, a bearing on how much you enjoy it. I guess to me it goes in the same kind of vein as like little Big Planet kart racing game. Yeah. You know, it's if you like if you like the core material, it's fun to, to explore a little bit further. But ultimately, it's, it doesn't quite live up to the original game that it's inspired it. Um in 2000, September 2008, Viva Piñata, the sequel to Viva Piñata, Trouble in Paradise, uh, was released. Uh, you know, only a two-year uh, turnaround development, but once again, we're going to dig deeper into that. Um, and this is one I haven't played, and I don't think I've even ever seen it in the shop, so I'm not too sure how of a, you know, a bigger, wide release it had. But um, Viva Piñata, Pocket Paradise, I love the title, um, released in September 2008. Now, once again, I have no... I've never seen this, never played it, had a little quick look at YouTube video, kind of like the idea of it. But Gary, I know you have played through a big chunk of it, or completed it, in fact. Yeah, it finished it. It's um, uh, an isometric version, really, of the original game. Mm. So it's it's got all the the usual bits, you know, the the animals, the, 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 the food chain, the mating, the little mini games that go with that. It's got all of that in there, but it's obviously... Um, it's yeah, 2D sprites on an isometric plane um, but other than that yeah it's exactly the same game it's a little bit slow and the digging and sort of terraforming your garden's a bit fiddly which shouldn't really be the case because obviously it's, it's stylus it's yeah. stylus yeah but it's a bit it is a little bit fiddly particularly sort of trying to raise and lower land um, but uh, yeah perfectly playable I remember I said I played through the whole lot so I enjoyed it yeah, we should mention that this one was on the Nintendo DS, which is, uh, this is long after Microsoft mm. bought Rare. Yeah. And uh, after that purchase, Rare had made a couple handheld games for Nintendo using some of uh, Banjo series and maybe a Diddy Kong DS racing game as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the first time that a game that debuted on the Xbox got a sequel on the DS. It, I don't know felt like it wasn't ever in Nintendo's family to begin with. Yeah, it's just weird seeing... Mike, I don't know if Microsoft published it. I'm not sure. But it's, it's weird just seeing a, a Microsoft exclusive mm. game make its way over to a completely different manufacturer's platform. Um, I guess they felt that it was far enough away from uh, any kind of competition as they don't have any on a handheld well, device. It's all to do with targeting that demographic again. Mm. You know, if uh, 
the reason that Skylanders is has a 3DS game. You know, it's a, that's an important market, and that sort of five to twelve year old market. They, unless you know, parents are rich enough to give them tablets. They, the 3DS or 2DS, and back then the DS was the was the console of choice, really. Followed a similar trend as you know, publishing wise as their GBA series. I think this was published by Play THQ. They were known at that point. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's right. Yeah, it was THQ. You, yeah, I remember now. So yeah, I, th- I think Microsoft sort of acknowledged um, around about this time. They were like, you know, I think they just like they didn't say out explicitly. They're like, yeah, we're not going to do an Xbox Game Boy or an X Boy as people were rumouring at the time. <laughs> so they they just kind of went right. Yeah, we're doing rare game. Well, we're letting rare publish their games because their games have already been done, and I think they've been done for a little while now. Going to just they're just going to let them publish them, and that's it. And they sort of severed all ties with the uh, Nintendo DS from that point onwards. I like it. I, I think I'm going to try to track it down. I don't know the price of it. I, I liked it. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was fairly competent. I was going in expecting the worst, you know. I thought, oh, is it going to be kind of like what I remember of um, Banjo Kazooie: Grunty's Revenge? It kind of looks the same as well, like an isometric-ish sort of top-down game. But yeah, you know, it looks nicer being on the DS. I, you know, the, the top screen's used for a lot of stats, and you know, the um, it takes away a lot of the UI real estate. It gives you a lot of, well, for the DS screen, it gives you a lot of like playroom on the on the touchscreen. But like Gary said, it's a bit too clunky in, in places and it's a bit too fiddly and it, where it shouldn't be really. Okay, so let's move on to the actual two main titles in the series, Viva Piñata and Viva Piñata Trouble in Paradise. Um, the problem we have here with Viva Piñata and Trouble in Paradise is that they are quite similar. Now, that's not to say that the sequel was um, you know, not worthy of a purchase. In fact, I think if you're going to play either of the games, you should play Trouble in Paradise. It's a lot more streamlined. Um, but the game mechanics itself uh, are very, very similar. There's added stuff in Trouble in Paradise to make uh, the player's life a little bit easier. Um, but you know, mechanics are roughly the same. I, I don't know what to call this. I, <laughs> a, a life simulator? Mm. What? I'd really struggled. Any, anybody want to want to hazard? You know, pop anything? Uh, it's a it's a zoological simulator. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there are there are others. I mean, there is Zoo Tycoon, yes. which is isn't that dissimilar actually, um, in terms of you're, you're still you're capturing species and breeding species in that as well. But this was more direct, and this was a obviously a fictional fantasy world that was run by its its own set of rules. Um, in that you know you've essentially got piñatas full of candy killing each other <laughs> and and uh, you know a food chain established where mm-hmm. spearmints eat worms etc you know and ultimately it's actually pretty similar to sim city as well you're just trying to yeah. create yeah. an environment that can sustain mm. all these various types of life and these um you know various populations that are each trying to coexist and also kind of compete for the same resources i'm okay with calling it civ for kids that's, hmm. that's... Uh, yeah i think <laughs> I mean, there was some um, Sim Life and Sim Ant, those two as well. I mean, yeah. there's, there's actually a number of games in this category. This sort of loose, sort of. Uh, I suppose you could call them life simulators if you want. I just, uh, just when I was looking online, yeah, a lot of places just you know put it down as genre family. Yeah, great. It reminds me of like playing theme park and theme hospital. Like, yeah, it's quite scaled down. It's not mm-hmm. like um, you know, you don't you don't get the whole grand aspect of the world around the Viva Pinatas, but it's quite you know, it's quite scaled down. It reminds me of theme hospital, uh, but like with the aesthetic of a theme park because it's all gardening, and it, it has the same effect where you you know you're you're managing the garden, you're sort of plotting out certain routes for these pinatas to go down and into their little. It is a garden simulator in my eyes, but. 
in, in a kind of the same genre as a theme park. Animal right? Crossing-esque? The theme, no. Animal no. Crossing is different, really, because you control a main character. And he, mm, that, that, sure. that's, that's more of a life simulator to me. Whereas this, like, it is like a little, little I don't know, like an animal park, I guess. It's, yeah, so. You know, and actually, there's, a, there's so many goals that you can pursue in this game. There's so many things that are open to the player that they can really choose the type of game that they want this to be. Whether they're more interested in... Uh, creating a garden that is a lush beautiful garden with the occasional animal hopping through or whether they want to collect these animals and complete their encyclopedia so you know it could be something very close to like a sim life game or it could be something a little bit closer to a pokemon type game it's funny i've never played it in the first way i've never just sat down and went i'm gonna make a beautiful garden that's entirely how i play it so (laughs) i mean i you know i've got loads of different gardens so that i can you know, I, I I'm a farming man. I want piñata and I'm going <laughs> to farm till I get it. <laughs> I sort of create specialist gardens for different types and 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 then encourage specific species of piñata to populate I'm also it. a demolish expert. I have one garden. It yeah, sets yeah, yeah. as <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you're going to game it, that's what you do. But, um, you know, I, both my wife and I both played it simultaneously. We've got two copies of it. And we would just play it for hours and hours and hours and really just creating gardens. The same as doing Minecraft. You know, I've, I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours in Minecraft and I've never actually bothered to get to the Ender Dragon. I don't see the point. <laughs> so it's the same same philosophy, really. Um, and it, interestingly, when um, we talk about it a bit more in detail later, but this time around for the for the show, I introduced my daughter to it. So I, I taught her... And your daughter is how old? Five. Okay. Uh, she can play Minecraft. So I taught her how to basically play it, but she played the... Uh, just for fun mode, which is the one where there's no Professor Pester and yeah. any of those. Yeah, it's only in Trouble in Paradise. But you still get all the species. You, the, they automatically mate as long as they've got a house. Um, so you don't have to do the mating game or anything. Um, and, the inter- and the interesting thing was that she also played it that way. And the biggest thing for her was dressing up the animals. And for every two animals she got, she made one a mummy and one a daddy. So she would like put a top hat and a you know, dress one up with shoes and stuff, and then the other one she would dress up as... And she did that with every species. And in the end, you know there's a max limit, isn't there? Mm. And she filled her garden up pretty quick. <laughs> Just with a load that, of top-hatted animals. I love well, it. Well, that's the thing. She she role-played She role-played the animals in the garden. Um, so, I, as you said, you can... Uh, that's the wonderful thing about this game, really, is you can approach it in many different ways. And actually, it's it's much friendlier than a type of game like Pokemon as well, where you're going out into the world and capturing these creatures in their natural environments and kind of uh, forcing them to battle, taking them as as your workhorses, really. When uh, in this one, you're trying to just create a space that that these animals want to live in and they want to migrate in and uh, hmm. just exist of their own accord. I, I love your perfect world of how this game plays. But that's, <laughs> that's quite different from the one I have, which is yes. every animal really likes its own space and does not want to share any of his own. But anyway, so for um for the people that haven't picked up on this so far, this this is a rare game. Um, we've covered quite a few rare, rare games now on the show. I think we've got a couple left. We'll, we'll work our way through their catalog. It's a pretty good catalog. Um, the publisher was Microsoft Game Studios. Um. The designers were Greg Miles, uh, who I believe uh, was behind one of the inspirations behind the Banjo-Kazooie series, mm-hmm. amongst many other things as well. Um, 
I know Trouble in Paradise has a, a couple of different designers on it as well, but it's actually hard to find huge amounts of information from people that have actually left Rare, the company now, because <laughs> there's quite a few. I think most of the, a lot of the core team isn't isn't no longer at that studio. Um, and of course, the composers Grant Kurthope, who keeps getting love on this show because it has some fantastic pieces of music and scores, and I'm sure that shall be played uh, at some point in the show. And Jamie Hughes. Apparently it sold 1.5 million copies the first game. Couldn't find figures for the for Trouble in Paradise. Um, many people would tell you that Viva Pinata was a bit of a, a flop in Microsoft's eyes anyway. Because if you think there's a TV series behind it, there was plushies behind it, there was lunchboxes, there was the full works. And if you then compare that figure to something like Skylanders, which you know me and Gary ourselves are big kids and we adore and know just how big that series is. I'm sure if Microsoft, although it didn't exist that time, would would be hoping to, yeah, for it to be that big. So if you if you really think that they wanted to capture that that kiddie market, 1.5 million copies seems a relatively no low number, certainly for a a major IP for someone like Microsoft. Comparison: Skylanders made 2.5 billion dollars last year. So, yeah, and I gave them 0.5 of that. <laughs> Hundred, not billion. <laughs> Maybe, um, and like we said at the start of the show, it really was Microsoft trying to to infiltrate that family market. You know, they were seen as a, a company that was very much for the hardcore, hmm. uh, very you know many shooters on there. Halo obviously being one, but you know it, it really was at that stage of its life. Um, you know, if if you are in into those games, you should buy this console. And there was, you know, I think it was a a reasonable push from Microsoft. I think they gave up too soon on this stuff. Um, but you know, it's nice to see that they actually eventually went for it, and Sony obviously had their own stuff. And um, yeah, it's it's odd to see Microsoft then to Microsoft now. I mean, if you think was this two thousand and six, so eight years ago, quite a different company it feels. Yeah. <laughs> than uh, you know, making first party Viva Pinata games. Mm. I couldn't believe uh, I was playing Trouble in Paradise last week that. It was it was that long ago. Mm. The three sixty is an old console now, isn't it? Six years ago, it's unbelievable. So it's a a year after release, isn't it? 2005, the Xbox. So. Well, the original, I'm talking about Trouble in Paradise is six years ago. Yeah, yeah so Viva Pinata's eight years ago. Mm. Mad. Like, you think now, like, the the, the state of the, the, you know, the company Rare's in now, uh, when you look back eight years ago, or six years ago, whenever, like, people were fairly critical about this game for it not being a true Rare game, in quotes. But like, if you look back now, you kind of think to yourself, "Well, you, you kind of, you kind of like welcome Enjoy your avatars, one. yeah, <laughs> yeah." You kind of welcome another Vivi Pinata with open arms. You know what I mean? It's... So, um, our histories with the game. I picked up Viva Pinata day one. Believe it or not, I was one of the people that were you know desperate for for new content on the 360. I I thought the game looked very you know very interesting. Um, yeah, I wasn't after necessarily a family friendly game, but I had a lot of respect for Rare. Really enjoyed uh, obviously their launch cameo, uh, launch game cameo. Um, so you know wanted to to see what you know this was more about. So I was there day one, and I believe I was the same there for Trouble in Paradise. Darren, uh, according to Xbox Stocks. Uh, xbox.com's uh, achievement tracking list i got this the day after christmas which says to me i got it on christmas day i don't remember um I, in my memory i got it day one but the achievements say 26th of the 12th uh 2006 so yeah I, I must have been playing this boxing day having the time of my life did it snow <laughs> i don't know i don't know if it's got that time clock in it um ryan 
Yeah, I was uh, I was a huge fan of Cameo Elements of Power uh, and just Whoa. a huge rare fanboy throughout my entire uh-huh, life. You and me both. Yeah, You're absolutely. the one. You're the other one. <laughs> Man, oh no. Oh, yes. I need to talk uh, to you about Cameo. Yeah, Hannah rings in the future. <laughs> but, you know, I was aware that Cameo was kind of built on previous consoles and kind of scrapped together at the last moment for an Xbox mm, 360 release. Mm. And so I was uh, I was excited for Viva Piñata because I wanted to see what Rare could do kind of building something for the current gen at the time console, which I know this began development on GameCube, I think it was, but mm-hmm. it had uh, spent so much time just with the direction of being an Xbox 360 game. They, it, this felt like a, like a true next gen experience at the time. And so I was very excited to see what this was going to be. I ended up getting this one for Christmas as well. Um, and I actually got a uh, really cool like collector's edition box that is, uh, I think it was the same price as the original box at the time, but it's a, it's a nice looking kind of horstachio standing on a hillside. Um, yeah, so I, I got this Christmas time. Oh man, they should have followed Bungie's trend of like um, giving you the biggest box. It should have been a massive piñata. <laughs> <laughs> smack it open to get the game. That'd be wicked. 150 quid, I'll pay that. A uh, game comes out in eight pieces. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a trend we need to follow, Darren, but yes, it would have been cool. <laughs> Gary? Um, well, following your lead, I've looked on two tr- achievements. Tr- 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 apparently I played the Viva Piñata on the 3rd of December, so I think that says I bought it as soon as it came out. Mm. And... Uh, Trouble in Paradise on the 6th of September, so that almost certainly means I played it the day it came out. Ryan, you reminded me. I've actually, I actually saw this game. Here I go again with my tales of working at Rare. But I remember seeing this game. I mentioned it on the Banjo-Kazooie show, but I saw this game in like a very pre-alpha, literally two seconds of FMV of uh, flat-shaded birds sitting on a branch, and it was a subtitle of My Garden. And that was just before I left. So I was like, well, where are they going? Like, what's going on with this company? And I left and I was just like, and I never knew what was happening to those two birds, but they were obviously two sparrowmints sitting on a branch, um, but with no color, no life, uh, mm. just, just sitting there. Very odd. But yeah, That's, very interesting. That'd be the white variant. <laughs> <laughs> the marshmallow one. Hmm. So, um, but you, Gary, were you anticipating it? Was it something you were kind of looking forward to? Uh, well, definitely, yeah. And this is um, pre right yeah. up my strasse because these are the sorts of games that I enjoy the most. Um, you know, sort of lightweight strategy sim games that mm. uh, involve creating and designing something. I mean, I spent all day today playing. Um, well, supposed to be working, <coughs> um, <laughs> playing um, Coaster Crazy Deluxe on the Wii U. So that you can tell the sort of game that I like. So yeah, this was you know, much as I'm a huge rare fan anyway, uh, even after Cameo. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, I just couldn't wait to play it because it, it was exactly my sort of thing, and and I really enjoyed the first one. Although uh, going back to it now, I I find it very difficult to play it after Trouble in Paradise. Yeah, yeah, it's it, they made so many good decisions in Trouble in Paradise to unpick some of the cludge that mm. was in the first one. But at the time, you, you kind of didn't notice it; you sort of worked around it. But uh, yeah, I'm glad they fixed all that.
So what I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do just a little summary of what Viva Piñata is. Now for people that have played the game, all this stuff is making sense that we're talking about. For people that haven't played the game, they're going to be wondering what the hell we are going on about. You know, animals raising, not just animals, animals filled with candy, uh, eating each other um, and needing to be bred. It's, it's a little weird. So I'm going to take you through what is basically the introduction of Viva Piñata. You start off in the environment and you have a... Uh, within you have a grid and within that grid you can sow seeds create ponds and entertainment areas for your piñatas which in their own right need maintaining so you need to water your plants um you need to pull weeds that's what makes things like um uh animal crossing where you're just pulling weeds mm. um and uh you need to make sure that your piñatas aren't infighting so they need their own little separate space so you can create fences etc <laughs> Um, so right at the very start of the game, you introduce your very first piñata, and that is a whelm. Here's another thing about Viva Piñata that if you don't know, every single animal has its own version of its name. So a whelm is a worm. Fairly easy. They get a little bit outrageous the mm. further you go through the game. There's some pretty good ones, but... Um, fudge hog. Fudge hog, yes. Elephant eel. Buzzle gum. Can we just do this for the rest of the episode, right? Um, <laughs> Donut. Flapjack, flapjack, <laughs> that was it. Eagle ear. Uh, quackerberry, yeah. Dragonfly. I can go through the entire book. Profitamole. Profitamole. Profitamole's good, right? Yeah, profitamole's great. But anyway, so you get the idea that you, know, you have animals and they have been given cute, fun, friendly names because they're named after candy. The whole idea is that you need to make uh, these piñatas residents of your garden. So to get a worm to be a, a worm, or get a worm to be a resident, you need just a little square of soil. So one percent of your garden, it, you start off in fact with a little square of soil, and once you have that, it will come into your garden. But to make it resident, you also need another requirement. Now you can see these requirements on the piñatas. So if you just put your little cursor over the top of them, it will tell you for this piñata to be resident in your garden. It needs um, 10 square pinometers of soil. So you know you've already got that, so then it becomes a resident of your garden. Now, of course, that can change. They get more and more complex as the game goes on. But that's a good starting point. So once you have a worm, worm in your garden, what are you going to do with it? Well, obviously just having one worm in your garden is going to be a pretty boring place. So you need to get at least two worms in your garden. So then, of course, nature needs to take its course. You need to make them you make sweet, wormy love. <laughs> and by doing that, you, you look on the, once again, the worm, and the worm tells you that it needs a house to make sweet love in because it doesn't want to do it outside. And who can blame him? Um, so you have a character called Willy Builder. Of course. Of course. Why would you not have a Willy Builder? And <laughs> Willy Builder builds all the houses for all the piñatas, and he takes sometimes a very short time, sometimes a very long time, depending on how complex the, uh, the grand house may be. Um, once you have built the house, the worms will go into that house. And it's a little weird. I would be interested to see how kids get on with this. I suppose it's more kind of a tongue-in-cheek towards adults. But you, you enter a minigame. The minigame is really quite simple. Um, you have a, a kind of a maze, and the maze is surrounded by bombs around it. And you need to move from one side of the maze all the way to the other side of the maze and you know, get together. Hmm. Along that route, you can collect coins to add to your total um and we'll talk about master romance a little bit later in the game but there is you know diff different difficulties mm. uh, as you breed more and more whelms you begin to become more proficient uh, with that whelm so the mazes become more and more complex but for yeah. now 
it's pretty much moved from the bottom of the screen around the corner to the top of the screen. Yeah, Pac-Man-esque, I'd say. Yes. It's top, you know, top down, go through the maze. There's no ghosts chasing you this time, but uh, yeah, it reminds me of Pac-Man. Once you get there, you get a rather funny... Um, I, I've called it the sex dance. It's pr- <laughs> that, it probably shouldn't be called the sex dance. It's just oh. called the romance dance. Yeah. Um, but you get to see two worms in this instance uh, get jiggy with each other. I think um, it's going to be done in a northern accent, so it's romance dance. Or, you know, romance, dance, depends on which, uh, you know, what side of the country you live on. The romance dances are really good, though. Mm. There, there's, well, how many pinatas in the game? But there, there's, there's, a, every pinata has its own version of a romance dance. And a lot of time and effort has gone into make these small FMV clips of them getting jiggy with it. Someone like the Fizzly Bear is literally dancing to, I think, you know, proper, mu- proper hip hop music. Um, and swinging off the chandeliers before you know embracing each other in their arms, so it's it is rather fun and cheeky. I think the ladybug actually dances to a uh, a takeoff of "Dude Looks Like a Lady." <laughs> Does yes? Is, it, is that Bisbotty by any chance? Yeah, that's it. That's the one. <laughs> Gary, any favourites from any romance dancing? No, it just reminds me of my uh, my, my teenage years. No, like you said, I mean, they're normally I've, I seem to remember the pistachios got a pretty good one. Um, but yeah, they yeah they're all original, aren't they? It's but it kind of goes with the the houses. All the houses are unique to each species and have and makes sense to each species. Yeah, it makes well. sense. Yeah, so for example, the sheep live in uh, a giant bed, uh, obviously because you can't sleep with a sheep. So things like <laughs> that. So there's, there's lots of little sort of ironic in jokes uh, littered throughout it. I even think the romance sounds are very much filled with in jokes. Yeah, mm. indeed. it's very much rare typical humour breeding through from. You know, from Fanny Franca to Willy Builder to, you know, the romance dances and stuff like that. You know, it's rare at its core, you know, bringing through their British humour that sort of crosses both uh, child and adult generations quite subtly. Kind of like, in a way, like Adventure Time would, you know, like there's hints towards adult humour with the innuendos, but, you know, kids can enjoy it at the same time. They just think, oh, that, that's a cool dance. Where yeah, we're thinking, Yeah, getting jiggy with it. <laughs> um, so, okay, so now we have two very happy worms in our garden. If they're in the garden, at this point you, you're introduced to another piñata. Um, a sparrowmint enters the garden, which is basically a small bird. Because um, its, its appear requirements is to have one worm in the garden. Um, if you have two worms in the garden, uh, it helps meet the sparrowmint's visit requirements. Uh, if you romance the two worms, it helps meet the sparrowmint's residential requirements. So that now means we've got two worms in the garden and the sparrowmint will now become resident itself. Um, and if the sparrowmint eats one worm, it helps meet their romance requirements. So if you get a couple of sparrowmints in your garden, eats a worm, now they get on with their jiggy with it. <laughs> I should just stop phrasing it that way. <laughs> so, all being well, now we have a sparrowmint resident in the garden also, which means we can look at attracting a buzzinge. By feeding the sparrowmint a buttercup flower, we involve it into a candery which along with having another regular sparrowmint meets the buzzing appear requirements and turns the buzzing being residents required to attract an eclair and so on and so forth. The reason I've left this sentence in is because it's a prime example of how actually complex Viva Pinata can be. Because on the outside, we're talking about fun animals, you know, filled with candy. It's got a, you know, cheeky, lots of cheeky music, lots of cheeky humour and fun. But actually, in the core of it, it's quite a, quite a deep... Um, kind of, I don't really call that, I suppose, the candy trail, because here we have, we have, you know, a worm is needed for 
a spiramint. And the spiramint is needed for, well, you can evolve it. We'll talk about evolving in a little while, but you evolve it into a whole different species itself, a candery from that, just by feeding it a, um, a buttercup. Dandelion. Dandelion, okay. By which point, a buzzinge, a whole other experience. So you, at this point, you've got one, two, three, on this fourth stage, a buzzinge will appear, but you need to have achieved all four stage, stages. And after that, you can get an eclair to appear because that's the fifth stage of that one one chain. So if you imagine there's, I don't know, 60 piñatas in your garden and you think that's one chain to achieve five of those piñatas, can you mm. imagine the complexity once you get towards the back end of the game where you can be, you know, and this is this is one of the problems of the game is you don't always know what you're working towards. You just, <laughs> you're romancing things um, and just seeing what happens and suddenly you'll get something can appear in, in the corner and you go, oh, okay, I've met that requirement. So it's not as as dry as what I've just read out where you're you're working literally just to get to that eclair. But it can become like that. Certainly towards the end of the game where you're okay, well I've got so many animals, what am I missing? And you even you know, two thousand six, you can go online, you'd look, you'd be given guides, how do I get to there? And you'd spend the next, you know, five, six hours going through half a dozen things. Well they're spreadsheets. They are spreadsheets. I d I didn't want to be that dry, but they are spreadsheets. But um, just to illustrate that point, Sony, if you just, you know, if you start a new, a new game, particularly if you do the play for fun mode and you just, it gives you a base garden with some ponds and a little bridge and a couple of trees um, as, your, as a kind of starter. If you just leave it and don't touch it, you will have, it will actually fill up with about seven or eight different species after about 30 minutes mm-hmm. because you get moths, um, you get uh, you get the flutterbys, you get the bespotties, you get... Um, what else do you get? You obviously get the worms and the sparaments, and that chain eventually will come to fruition. You'll get a buzzing just by not doing anything, because what it is, it's the simulation is is creating the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So as soon as the you know you always get a worm because a worm appears if you've got dirt. Mm-hmm. So just having an empty garden, the, the worm will appear. It's de facto, isn't it? At that point. Yeah, and yeah. then the sparament will appear, and then so on and so forth. And if if you start with the you know with the the kind of starter garden. There's enough in there to attract those other species. They've obviously done it on purpose um, for the fun mode, in particular, because they know that's the one that kids will play. So it, you know, the simulation is strong enough that they interpret any situation. If you dig enough water, all of a sudden uh, the waterborne species will start appearing mm-hmm. and wandering around the edge or wandering into the garden, depending on how much you've got. So just experimenting with you, you know, just actually playing with the garden and just doing different things in the garden, putting loads of long grass, for example, the lion will appear. You know, things like that. So it, I I think the game is very good at dropping hints as to what you need to do. Mm. Um, in that as soon as you achieve something and a species will appear for that particular um, resource that you've added, even flowers, you know, if you put, I think it's five dandelions, I can't remember now, and that encourages the flutterscotch and obviously it's different colours of those depending on the flower type. I mean, you know, so you're right. The simulation is is deep and complex, but you don't really need to know it to enjoy mm. it. You can the part of the fun of the game I find, I found is is discovering those things. Mm. You know, when you accidentally got um, a you know a, a sheep to eat um, a water lily and it turned pink, yeah. <laughs> and then you discover that most things, if you feed them water lily, will turn pink. You know, so it's, it's things like that that you sort of accidentally discover and you think, oh, I wonder if that works on them as well. And it, well, lo and behold, it does something else. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, that 
probably shows the difference between certain gamers and other gamers. So, <laughs> you know, I although I had a lot more time back then to, to do stuff, but I, I think unfortunately, you know, I, I had a, a set of achievements. And within those achievements, there was, you need to meet all these requirements. And I was like, I shall meet every requirement and I shall find <laughs> out how I get to that eclair. And then, you know, I played it very much. Well, the, the path to that is, so I need to create X, Y, and Z, breed X, Y, and Z to achieve the ultimate goal of popping an achievement at the end of it. Probably the wrong way to play the game, uh, I would grant you. Um but uh, I, I certainly had a few gardens where it was just, yeah, I was creating just for the creating sake. That was actually my frustration playing the game recently as well. And I remember back in the old days when I used to play it is that I would have a goal in mind. I would find, oh, you know, cool, a, a two-headed snake. How do we get that? You know, let's, uh, let's give that a shot. So to do that, I need to breed my snakes, you know, so I have enough snakes to... Uh, have a sustainable population to mate they need to eat frogs so i need to breed frogs to make a sustainable food source to breed the frogs they need to eat green butterflies so i need to breed butterflies which are naturally white make them eat a special flower that only grows by the edge of ponds so i have to plant those seeds protect the plants because the seeds or the plants can be eaten or will dry mm -hmm. up if they're not watered even if they're right by the edge of the water you have to protect the plants have to make sure the white butterflies eat them have to feed them to the frogs so the frogs can mate. It's 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 too complicated. And for the for the amount of uh, I don't know, just like the lush beautifulness of the graphics and the soothingness of the music. Like all I wanted was to kind of sit back and just enjoy and not have to manage and protect and uh, every little step along the way. And things would go wrong if you left them alone and if you forgot about them. You know, seeds would be eaten or plants would die or pinatas would get in fights with one another and before long it just it was too much stacking on top of each other and i just became uh very very stressed out at this whole experience <laughs> that should be very relaxing mm. i have to say the um if you know that's the one we're talking about here is you know just breeding animals and letting them live within your environment and you know having the i'd call it the you know the daily chores of weeding and watering and making sure things are surviving if the game isn't kind of complex enough at that point, it, it throws in a couple of other curveballs. Um, it introduces sours, which are sour sweets, which can also upset your environment, your well, you know, worked and maintained environment. So, what sours do? They come into your garden. Um, they poop little sour droplets into your mm. garden, and if your piñatas eat those, uh, your piñatas will become sick. Obviously, you have somebody. Uh, is it Doc? I can't remember his name. The doctor comes. Uh, patches. Ah, that's it. Yeah. Doctor comes along and uh, and helps you. But that's, you know, once you have to call the doctor out, make sure that's going on. Well, I think in Trouble in Paradise, they, they expand on that even more than the sour stuff. So, but, um, so you've got another element of, you know, something is trying to invade your garden and destroy it. On top of that, as I said before, the, the piñatas themselves are quite protective of their own uh, little corner of the, your garden and uh, will tend to, you know, bully each other and either, you know, eat each other or uh, just become nuisance. And mm. So you end up having to, to fence little sections of the garden off to, to make sure that they don't cause chaos, which, you know, I've got a, I want a kind of free-range garden. I don't want to trap my piñatas in. This is a garden that's attracted them. Why should I put fences mm. on? But I think that's part of the, um, the genius behind Trouble in Paradise is that they're, they're just for fun mode, which is, you know, a, an easier mode, a, a kid's mode, if you want to call it that. They don't have the sours in there, do they? Or the weeds no. or, or the bad stuff, which I think's... You can plant weeds. 
You, yeah. Yeah, you can, yeah, but you don't. And you have you start off with the watering can that gives you unlimited water mm. and all of the helpers. Um, so, yeah, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. There's no uh, Professor Pester or um, mm. any of those. Um, I mean, the good thing they also did in Trouble in Paradise is they allowed, if you became the master breeder of a certain species, you could then turn them off so they wouldn't appear again. Uh, and that was really useful um, to prevent some of the things you're talking about, Tony. So, you know, once, if you knew that, the, for example, at certain points, you really want to stop worms appearing in your garden because yeah. they then attract the experiments, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. and they start fighting and causing trouble. Um, so by turning the worms off, you can actually turn off an entire food chain from appearing in that garden. So that's quite useful when, and that carries across to multiple gardens. Um, so you could, like I've got, I don't know, about six different gardens, I think, on the um, on Trouble Paradise. And each one's different. So I've got like a wetlands one, and I've got a desert one, and a snowy one, and a grassy one. And all of your creatures uh, that you, you know, everything you unlock, you unlock for all of your gardens. Uh, and if you want to transfer from one garden to another, you just post them to yourself, and then you just you know unload them in the other garden. It's actually one of those interesting things. Once again, a game that has you know once you've been playing the game for a long time, um, its end game con- uh, content obviously is hard to achieve. But actually, you can master the game a lot easier than somebody approaching it for the first time. So, for instance, with the, with the sour, you can build a sour tower which costs x amount of money which is a lot of money when you're first starting out, which you know deters them a little bit. But then you can even control. You know, Mr. Doctor, what's his name? Mr. Pester. Um, Professor Pester. Professor yeah. Pester. You can even control him by uh, getting, is it a rhino, isn't it, that, that comes uh, in? Yeah, rhino or the dragon. They both will have a go in. Um, but that's one of the quite late game stuff that I found. So, having played both Eva Pinata and Travel in Paradise and both to completion, 1,000 points on each, so, you know, I, I assume I've done pretty much everything in those games. Um, coming back to it to play it again for this show, just as you know, a refresher, I'd, I'd forgotten quite how crazy it, it got and how quickly mm. it, it gets out of control. So you know, we're talking about a food chain which quickly introduces maybe seven, seven species into the garden if you're not doing too much. Um, it's throwing text boxes at you left, right and, and centre, t- trying to tell you how to manage the garden uh, what you need to do you know what this piñata is there's a new piñata into your garden you've reached this gardening level you've done this you've done that by the way you can go over there and it's just non-stop just bombardment of information when all you're trying to do is just make a worm (laughs) a house (laughs) yeah it's a bit overwhelming with all these notifications and kind of you know it it does it does an okay job but providing the player with information at all times because you want to be aware of you know when a shelly bean's coming in to attack your garden and stuff like that but i feel like if smart glass was more you know if it was if it was available back then and you know and what they promised which i don't think it still is now but if smart glass was a thing and worked properly i think all those things could work well on a tablet near you on, on your lap kind of like what battlefield does you know with its commander mode and other games i've seen are trying to do with a an off-screen sort of information tablet I kind of think Viva Pinata 3 or 2, whatever, I don't know, it, it could benefit from an off-screen, just a tablet, just giving you all this stuff that you can you can tap on and you can flick through an encyclopedia and stuff. Because I think the UI in Viva Pinata and Trouble in Paradise is just ridiculous. Like, And I know they streamlined it in Trouble in Paradise, but I was playing it again recently and I was just like, there's so many things going on when I press the start button, it's like a, it's like a flower and each petal's got a, an option, you know, to go to a different part of the encyclopedia or go to a shop and stuff like that. And I think for the kind of audience they were going for, I kind of think they laid it on real thick. And 
the phrase it looks like a puddle but it's got the depth of an ocean comes to mind when i just play vivi pinata because you look at it and you think oh it's for the kids you know it's for the family let's play and then within like half an hour like ryan said earlier you're kind of stressed and you're kind of a bit like oh my god there's just there's just so much going on so like i say i do think this game could benefit from an off tv interactive menu thing gary obviously you've played a lot of just for fun mode does it still bombard you with the ui stuff in the same way as it does in the main game well the ui is still the same uh, and uh, you know it is it is clunky it is it's slow to navigate and if you go into the wrong thing it's annoying it's interesting from my point of view is whether she can actually you know we're kind of like oh man the ui is clunky but is it something that actually a, a a small a kid generation can yep. just over, completely overlook and go well of course I want to be told about every single minutiae of what's happening in this garden because you know I need to be told that because she's she's at that learning stage she doesn't really pay attention to the alerts but she's able to navigate the menu fine and because all big they're quite clever in that all of the menu items are characters so it's easy for a child to remember where they're going to go so she knows that if she wants to buy um, like um, if she wants to dress up one of the piñatas, she goes to the cat lady. So you know, and she knows that's at the top of the menu. If she wants to find out what the next challenge is, she goes to the frog, and it comes up, and it will come up with a picture of the piñata that, that they're after. And so, yeah, she's able to actually navigate that pretty pretty well. I mean, I, I gave her a bit of tuition, but I was pretty hands off and just let her play it. And she played it for you know over the course of a weekend, probably three or four hours over in total. Yeah, and as I said, she did play it differently because she she very much approached it from a she sort of role played it. So she was attracting the animals and then dressing them up. And in particular, she liked building the houses and then looking at them when they're inside the house. So she'd wait for them both to go to bed and then go in go in there and look. And um, and often you see them in their partying, don't you? So mm. it's quite funny. So I think a lot of those touches as an adult, you often. When you play games, you tend to some of that stuff tends to pass you by because you, as you said, Tony, you, if you're going for achievements and stuff, you tend to think, well, how can how can I game this as quickly as possible? How can I get from A to B in the shortest time? Whereas when a, a young child plays games like this, they they tend to want to explore everything, mm. and they're not really bothered about finishing the goals, game or finishing yeah. the level. Yeah, goals are not a big thing. It's more about interaction and, and play, literally play, and. Um, she loved it. She absolutely loved it. So before I did that little experiment, I would have said it's not a great game for kids. Um, and I still would say probably the first Vivi Pinata isn't. It's it's very difficult to to play without that mode. But with the inclusion of the Just for Fun mode, mm-hmm. it's a brilliant kids game. Absolutely brilliant. You, you're saying it's kind of like a, a dress-up game for, for your daughter. That mm. kind of reminds me of when The Sims first came around for PC and the way I was playing The Sims was completely different to how, uh, you know, my, my female friends at that time were playing The Sims. Like they were kind of playing it as a, a design workshop. They were like building their house and <laughs> having a, you know, having everything all nice and tidy. Kind of like how Gemma plays Sims too not nowadays. Whereas I'm just like, right, how can I get the the ultimate goal right now as soon as possible? And like, you know, <laughs> I don't care that my house is a complete bomb site. Like I just want to get from A to B. It is, uh, it is definitely. Um, yeah, but we're, us as gamers, I think we're just, we just we just want to get there. <laughs> the good thing about, um, you know, particularly Traveling Paradise is they put all of those different things in there. So if you did, you know, if you did want to game it, there is a really deep, rich, mm. enjoyable game in there. 
you're right. It's it, I think the UI is overloaded with alerts and everything else, and it's it's nice the, the fact that you can turn some of those off in Trouble in Paradise is useful. Mm-hmm. As I said, when you can get to the point where you can turn off some of the animals so they don't come in your garden, yes. that solves a lot of those issues. So I'm going to run over a couple of the, the, the kind of major improvements they made in Trouble of the Paradise. Like I say, very much the same game, but they, you know, over the two years, they, they streamlined it and they, they put a few new ideas in there. So they introduced 28 new species. Um, there's a new desert and uh, Arctic area, terrain areas. We'll talk about mm. that in a sec. Um, more toys, new camera tool, blah, blah, blah. Um, the Just for Fun mode, which Gary's been talking about, um, which included no ruffians, no sours, no weeds, infinite chocolate coins, so you didn't have to manage the economy at the same time. Um, but apparently it didn't have access to some of the more exotic piñata species, which by the sounds of it, your daughter probably didn't care no. anyway. No. <laughs> if she didn't know they were there, then who cares? Um, it added coach co-op, uh, couch co-op, um, which is obviously a good idea for family play. Um, you could also do online, uh, Xbox Live online play as well. In Trouble Paradise, I think you could. Mm. I know you could send um, items yeah. to each other on the par- uh, in the post, and you'd be sending little uh, parcels that would land in your garden, open up, and a piñata would pop out. It's fun. Um, and also, one of, the, one of the things I think, which you know, we alluded to the first game being quite hard to get those those end game piñatas by going, you know, having to jump through you know fifty different hoops to finally get there. You know, which I, is fun within its own right, but quite stressful. Um, they introduced uh, piñata vision, which was uh, a a little card with a one of those kind of quite odd barcodes before the you know, the ones that Microsoft painted mm. it event- eventually. It had its own unique little barcode and it had the picture of the piñata you wanted. Um, you could use your Xbox Live Vision camera, which was never the greatest camera in the world. No, so no. Um, with that camera, you could scan the card, it would read the information on that card and you could have that piñata put straight into your garden so you wouldn't have to do jump the hoops. Now... You could spend as long trying to scan the card as doing it yourself in game because the it, the technology wasn't quite <laughs> quite there yet. But it was um it was a good way um to to bypass a lot of that stress if you really wanted one of the, the late game stuff um, and you didn't want to work through it. There there was just you could go to um, Rare's website and there was a lot of stuff yeah. in the forum there. But there also the, the internet was awash with the the barcodes and you could just basically pick any piñata you wanted, yeah, really. and it would scan the code. The idea I think was that you'd you yourself would get these piñatas and then you'd share it amongst your friends rather than the internet sharing <laughs> it with every single person. But um, yeah, this this is where I burnt myself out on Trouble in Paradise because I found this website. And it was a bright sunny day in England and the camera was picking up all the colours of the card. And I was like, I'm just going to sit here and get all the piñatas. And then by the end of it, I was just like, oh, I beat great. the game. Look it's at like, me. Yeah. It's like getting this, you know, the, the money cheat in The Sims. After like 10, 15 minutes of having everything, you kind of think, well, what's the point now? And um, I, I kind of, it was that, that point that I kind of really appreciated how in-depth either piñata was because when you just skip to the end, you're kind of bored and um yeah and you, i didn't feel any satisfaction or you know reward for doing this vision camera <laughs> cheat that's how i saw it i saw it as a big old cheat and um yeah it just sucked all the fun out of the pinatas for me anyone else use the cards uh, i gave up after the first couple it was just too fiddly yeah and it took all the fun out of the game yeah that was my big problem with it just just removed any challenge from the game and even though i complained about the challenge and the stress of getting those pinatas I realised that that's probably you know that's the whole point of the game you know you kind of want to yeah you miss making the amazing gardens that attract them yeah I, I, 
you know, if they, if they do another one, they you need to avoid doing that because it's a fun sucker. Oh, no, come on, they've got the connect now. <laughs> you need <laughs> well, you a could, pinata shape and it will scan it in for you. You could talk to them or wash them. Um, there was another c- couple of cool things that, that there was a, a viral pinata sent out from uh, Rare, and it's like one of these viral achievements. If you, you get it sent to your garden, then you would send it on to someone else, and then you know, they would send it on to someone else, and it would be that kind of big effect where you know suddenly, you know, in, in, in theory, half a million people, if they were connected to live, would mm. eventually get this pinata. I did get, I did get the achievements. So I got it at some point and then sent it on. Um, so yeah, that, they, I think they, they made, they, they saw what Rare saw the issues the first game had. Um, and I think they, they did just about everything they could to address um, the complaints which were leveled to them over those two years. I think just having the cards, you know, took out that. If you really wanted that last one, just skip straight to the end. If you wanted <laughs> just the fun of, you know, having a garden and not having the, the stress of, um, you know, all the other aspects of the, the micromanagement or just play it with your children, for instance, um, the Just for Fun mode was was a perfect addition. Yeah, and playing it again recently on Just for Fun mode, just to you know, just to get a feel for it, I'm still really impressed by how the game looks, um, both you know from a, an art point and a, a, you know a, a raw polygon visual yeah, presentation. Absolutely. Like it's a typical rare R and D game. Like you know, like you could just tell they're in this, they're in their little development house, just free, just trying to make. You know, squeak every little ounce out of the uh, 360, and for me, it still looks like one of the best uh, games on on the console because it thrives on the HD colors. Like, I can't believe more. Well, I can't believe there weren't more games of that generation that didn't use primary colors like uh, Viva Pinata did because it just pops with HD. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it looked. It, that's why it took me back when I realised how old it was because it still looked really crisp. The only thing that ages it, I think, is just the slowness and the clunkiness of the navigating the menus, but. Actual game itself looks it looks looks amazing. I mean, it could it could be a current generation game. I mean, you know, I played a fair bit of Zootopia. My wife played it a lot more than I have, but it doesn't really look that much different. And 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 because of the art style on it, it, it you know, it, it it's just gonna be timeless. It's one of those classic. You know, we're, we're talking about okay, the Last of Us. Yeah, great. We got an upgraded version of that. You know, but it's. It's taking a game like that. I think it, you know having a the super duper version of it and putting it on on the current gen systems. I always felt like the Xbox 360 was really pushing, trying to just crunch the numbers behind. So having it maybe on the Xbox One, it could handle that stuff a little bit better. Um, and you, you know, maybe you'd have slightly bigger environments because the environments were quite um, enclosed on occasions. It's the memory limit on mm. the 360 which limits the game because you know, you can only have a certain amount in your garden before you hit that barrier. Um, and even species, I can't remember what the number is now, but once you get to sort of 12, 14 um, animals in your garden, you hit the limit. There are a few kind of odd limitations. The attract mode in Trouble in Paradise and then the um, the intro video that uses clips from the TV show from the original Viva Pinata just absolutely chugged along. Like their frame rate was like a slideshow. It's like oh, yeah. seconds per frame instead of <laughs> yeah. frames per second. <laughs> it was it was odd as well. In, in Trouble in Paradise, they they introduced these two new areas. So you had the the, the desert and the Arctic. Um, you know, once again, I think half the species of those pinatas were in either of those. And you had to leave your main garden in the game, travel to a completely separate location, um, essentially bait and trap the pinatas, which mm. is a bit strange. Um, get them sent back to your garden, and then you had to meet the requirements of them to to be within your garden. Um, where you could that's that stage once you unlock those areas, you could make a little snowy area in the corner corner of your garden, 
uh, or a little desert area in the corner of your garden so they would actually live there you know, happy but it was it, I remember at the time being quite odd that you had to travel out of the game mm, it kind of reminded me of um, Pokemon but in a very scaled down sense in the fact that it's in a square grid as opposed to a sprawling world you know you lay your traps down and you can either catch them or you, or you don't kind of like you know the Master Ball and the Pokeballs of Pokemon it kind of feels like they wanted to do an adventure game but the limitations of the engine and stuff like that kind of didn't hold it back, but they just couldn't do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad they gave you another way of obtaining these. Uh, I need to call them Pokemon pinatas. Um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the uh, the different environments and the you know the the, the complete aesthetic change. Um, but yeah, it was a bit. It did seem a bit odd that you know you were. It seemed a bit um, malicious, a bit kind of hmm. a bit aggressive. Like yeah, yeah I've got to capture in this. this Massive cage. It's weird in itself. The Traveling Paradise does more of the story stuff. So it, it runs on the, the basis that you, obviously these piñatas are piñatas. So their one life dream is obviously to be sent to a kid's party where they would be ultimately smashed with sticks <laughs> and their innards would spill out for the kids to chew upon. Kind Yay. of weird. So you would, um, you'd, the, the way that the game would ask you to do, you'd need to make these piñatas happy. So you would give them certain things, say, you know, whatever needs a turnip, so you'd feed it turnips, it would make it happy. And it would meet the requirements to be sent off for a party. But weirdly, it would come back from the party <laughs> with a bunch of chocolate coins because you fulfilled its uh, its destiny. And it would you know, still coexist in that environment. So as the kids, once they've smashed it up, they put it back together and come back in and be happy. But it's just weird when you think about that game in, in the way that it's all about animals eating each other, being sent away, being murdered, come back. <laughs> it's a little quite dark. You know, the uh, um, desert and Arctic zones, like like Darren was saying, they they remind me of the Safari Zone from Pokemon, where it's kind of like a different little diversion. Um, mm. It's a different way of capturing these creatures, and in this case, you're setting up traps, and some of them can be quite difficult to to trap in these uh, in these these trap boxes that you have to set up for them and put bait in the middle of them and send them off to the uh, to your garden before they break out and. Uh, it can be quite difficult and then it's kind of frustrating to get them into your garden and they're still not residents of your garden. You still have to do more things to make them want to live with you. And you can't even, you don't know what it is that they are going to need until they make it into your garden. And so, uh, you know, you can work so hard to trap these very difficult to catch animals and then they'll run away because they're not happy in your garden. And that can be massively frustrating as well. (laughs) There's also a day-night circle, so certain piñatas will only appear to come into your garden. Um, is it the Moth Drop? I think he was one of mm-hmm. them. Yep. Um, which is pretty good. Uh, I know Pret's Tail, who's one of, the more, bat as well. one of the more famous piñatas, because he was in the TV show, uh, you needed to be in a, a night cycle. Um, but that, that's, we, we, we've really only just you know, kind of grazed over the top of how deep this game is. There's so many little aspects which we could dig deeper. Like, say, for the mance, the, for romancing, you can take a piñata, um, and I think you need seven, you need to uh, romance them um, seven times, isn't it? Uh, That's it. Um, and you get the, ma- basically, you'll get the master romancer. Uh, um, that allows you, that, that, okay, so there's certain piñatas, so, uh, for instance, you to get a tunicorn, you need to have a Hostachio master romanced. So it's not like you're just doing this for fun. You need to certain uh, piñatas will only will only unlock once you've romanced that particular piñata seven times. And the the first course will be really easy. But time you get down to the seventh course, and you need to get the master romancer award. And you probably I think you you need to collect all the coins along the way. 
um, to achieve the Master of Romancer mm. as well. Yeah. Um, it's no, it's not an easy task. It was actually quite hard um, to achieve. So it's little bits like that. It's also weird that if 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 you're going for that, essentially you can um, have babies and then mate with your own offspring. <laughs> kind of yep. strange. But, yeah, I remember becoming a, like a master. Um, uh, romancer of these uh, of these pinatas because it was quite frustrating in a way because you know you did have to perfect the maze for each animal and some animals had you know because they're different they have a different kind of turning circle in the maze and I remember yep. the, the bird the sparrowmint or one of the birds being quite a bit of a pain in the bum to navigate around these mazes for the the, the tighter moments of the maze and uh, ended up bumping into bombs seemingly unfairly because they kind of got a hop to them you know whereas the wor- the worm has got um you know he's got like a sliver kind of a squeaky little sliver thing it's quite cute but yeah some animals i found really unwieldy to control when it came to um the maze game and i felt it was a bit unfair you know when i was going for the um you know becoming the master of them all there was a fair bit of uh, other stuff so such as evolving creatures into creatures so i, I mentioned at the start of the show you you had a sparrowmint if it ate a buttercup it would turn into a candry which is a whole different species in itself so um, although I suppose you could just say you've attracted a new species into your garden. If if you didn't know that it needed to eat that at the very start, um, it would be hard to know why it turned into a new bird. At the same time, you have variants, so you can change. I mean, Gary, you talked about changing it, a sheep into a pink sheep. Uh-huh. Um, and you can do that for, I think, was it most of the animals or all the animals? Yeah, I think there's three variants for every species, yeah. Um, those are the butter, butterflies. There's lots of, yeah, the flutterscotches. There's lots of different uh, coloured flutterscotches. Yeah, up think. to ten, actually, I think. Yeah, all the different colours of the flowers. And once again, um, you may need a flutterscotch to attract something, but for something to mate, you may need a blue flutterscotch. So you need to work out what the you know what colour that will be from eating what uh, thing in the garden. All at the same time, trying to make sure everything's watered and uh, <laughs> maintained. Yeah, when I found that you could have variants of pinatas, my honestly, my brain sort of frazzled, and I just sort of went, "Oh, I need, I need all of these things," but my brain can't <laughs> handle all the all the stress and the management needed. And uh, I, I kind of, I kind of do it to myself in genres I'm not familiar with. I kind of like put myself down a little bit. Like same with Fire Emblem, I kind of just think, "Oh, I can't do it," and then I end up just turning it off. And really, I should have persisted and, and carried on. It's, it's quite a rare case that um a oh, rare case. I got it's one of those rare, few moments where I don't actually a hundred percent a rare game, and you know this is one of them because of the just the sheer overwhelming um information. It's kind of such a nebulous thing, though, isn't it? A game like this trying to hundred percent it because mm-hmm. it's like it saying you get a hundred percent Animal Crossing. It's just not saying you're going <laughs> yeah. to do. You know, you, you you go with the flow, and you know um, if you discover these things. I mean, the the, the variants don't give you anything other than. They're a different colour. You know, it's not... Uh, it's a tick in the box that you, you're like, yep, that's done, I've done it. It's kind of that thing, you know, you kind yeah, of... Yeah, but you do it for the species that you really like. So, yeah. you know, you don't do it for every single one because, and I, I don't know if it's an achievement for that, probably is, but um, <laughs> uh, you, you do it for the ones you like, you yeah. know, because if you want to have like a <clears throat> family of four of, I don't know, fuzzy bears or something and you want each of them a different colour, then you would, that's what you would do, but you don't necessarily do it for all of them. Um one of the things you, I was going to mention when you talked about the um, the mini game and the controls, of course, there are actually two other mini games. There's the showing your pinata off mm. in Trouble in Paradise, and yeah, there's the right. dreadful race. <laughs> yeah, 
The pinata paper chase. I think that's what I, I did. That race, and I, was, <laughs> and I saw Party Animals have a similar kind of race. It was the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's probably why I didn't buy Party Animals because that race is pretty garbage. Yep, terrible. The numbers in the game can be a little bit overwhelming at times, and that's actually one of the things that kind of turned me off to the sequel a little bit, which is uh, something that people who play it, um, kind of other types of gamers, might actually. Uh, might actually prefer is that they introduced what is it 28 new species into the sequel mm-hmm. and I, I felt it kind of fell into the same trap that the later generations of of pokemon did where there's so many mm. pokemon i've been playing pokemon x for a little bit and um there's so many pokemon they want to squish into this game that you're just constantly meeting new ones as opposed to in the original pokemon blue you you ran into a new Pokemon every once in a while. Every new route would have one or two, and you got to you got to kind of know each one of them. You got to see what they're capable of, and you mm. got to um, kind of understand the environment in which they live. You got to see the trainers fight with those specific Pokemon and began to kind of envy them specifically, and uh, it it gave each one a little bit more gravity. Where uh, in the first Viva Pinata. You were introduced to these new species fairly slowly. You know, the one will wander in every once in a while. And your sole focus is, oh, I wonder how I get him into my garden. You know, it's uh, kind of a neat looking little animal. Whereas in Trouble in Paradise, especially in the first uh, 10 minutes, it seems like you're constantly getting cutscenes of of new animals walking in and being introduced to all sorts of new things. And it, it takes a little bit of the uh, personality out of each one. You know, it... it they become a little bit too much too fast. Yeah, it's, it's less a, less of an event when they come in every five minutes, you know, whereas in for me in the first one, it was kind of like, oh, how do I get that? Thing? You know, it was like half an hour later and you'd see a new one and you were kind of leveling up your flower in the top right corner because you were planting new things, you were watering new flowers and you were, you were, you know, you're doing the garden sim to level up your, your character, I guess, or you. And, uh, you know, when you got to level 10, you, you know, you'd then see a new type of... um thing come in but yeah in children paradise when i played it again recently they 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 were bombarding me with cutscenes at the start and it's it's not a great way to start a game is it especially one that's quite slow paced it just seems to be like you know cutscene 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 it's just like all right just let me get a feel for the garden let me let me start building let me get on with it but yeah that, i'm not saying actually revisiting trouble in paradise uh I, I felt like trouble in paradise expected people to play the first viva pinata before jumping into the sequel which is kind of odd because a lot of people view trouble in paradise as like the one you should start with it has a lot of uh, better features but there's a lot of things they don't talk about that they don't explain that they did in the original and they kind of expect you to come in with a certain knowledge base already uh, did anybody else kind of get that uh, that impression it kind it kind of yeah, I, I know what you mean. And the encyclopedia is there for you to, you know, check the, you know, check the chest lid. But I do think the first one, with it being the first one, and therefore they had to design it from that viewpoint, you know, not being aware that Trouble in Paradise was a thing. It does, it does kind of feel like, you know, Trouble in Paradise is like, oh yeah, you, you're, you're returning, are you? Yeah, okay. Well, I think the ground rules aren't as well explained. Like the XP is not explained. The various characters aren't as well introduced. It's it's uh, don't forget it's different if you're if if you're basing this on playing it recently, um, unless you start a brand new save, mm-hmm. it 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 actually throws more at you the second time you go in because it knows you've played it before because as I said everything you unlock carries over into any 
new game you I, play. Um, hmm. Talking about that, Dan, I, I, I had a real trouble because I loaded it up and there wasn't any way to replay the tutorial. Because it went, yep, you've done that. You're a yeah. level 100 gardener. You've achieved That's everything. It. So <laughs> off you go. You have to delete all of your saves. Well, no, what or... I did, I, I just went to an, I loaded up a different protile and um, and rocked on from there. And it all, all right at the very start. Yeah. It's like, and here's the big tutorial that I was, you know, it, it, it does show you. Because I I would like to think I put probably 100 plus hours into these games. I know I probably did. Um, and yet, you know, six years down the line, I'm you barely remember how any of the mechanics worked. Um, so it's odd, you know, from somebody that even has a, you know, a background of it needing that tutorial. So without it being there was, was quite a shock to the system. Yeah, also Lefos keeps talking to you and telling you what's going on, which is what, because again, I'm, my daughter played it on her own profile, so I saw it from the beginning, because mm. it's the same even if you play just for fun mode. Mm. Um, so she's constantly telling, giving you hints and tips, and you can talk to her as well, and she'll tell you things, and CDOS is the same, he'll he'll give you hints and tips as you go through so i think um if you play it from absolute scratch there is a pretty decent tutorial but obviously it doesn't go into the full depth it leaves a lot for you to discover yourself and i think you know i don't want to draw draw too many comparisons to it but a bit like you know the souls games a lot of stuff is left to the community (laughs) and other players to unpick for you you know And, and it was very much the case with both these games you know you could you would find a lot of it by chance, but you wouldn't find all of it. And the only way you would ever find about all of it is to either speak to other people or to go to forums or buy strategy guides, that kind of thing. Depending on how you approach the game, I said, you know, you can approach it and not worry about all that stuff. You know, a lot of people will just play it and enjoy it and not and not fret about the fact that they haven't met every single pinata. But if you want to, then, you know, the mechanism was outside of the game to do that. It was almost like a meta game in itself. And I think that's where they were clever because for people, you know, for people who are going to game this this this, this particular game, that's what they would do. Mm. Um, but for people who just want to go with the flow and enjoy it as a, you know, a fun simulation, then uh, it's all in there as well. Mm. Wasn't expecting a Dark Souls reference in this episode. <laughs> but they always crop up. I do agree with you, Gary, because I. I... I very much played it in that way where I was trying to game the system. And I really do think it had a, you know, listening to, you know, your daughter playing or even, you know, thinking of what I could achieve just by, you know, I was surprised when I went back and I got, you know, two or three gardens there and I opened up the gardens and you can see I'm, I'm on, you know, route one to get a pinata. I must have been, you know, trying all these different things, certain things are planted just to get, I think it was on the, the dragon at the very end. Um, you know, it was, I don't know. Maybe maybe I did miss that a little bit. You know, the game actually just slowing down a bit once you were past that opening section and and just letting you play it for what it is. It, it, it I mean, I remember at the time when I played both these, I I was playing at the same time as a few few of my friends, um, in the interfact prisons like Oxy and stuff, mm-hmm. and we would be sending each other vinyatas or sending each other money. So it did have that. You know, they did uh, at the time it was a big thing on Xbox Live as well. But they did build in those sort of social community features to it as well. Um, which again, if you were trying to, you know, if you were desperate to try and get something, someone could send you one, and by sending it to you, it would unlock it in your in your game to appear and stuff. I was going to say, in in the game's defence, I actually, you know, beyond the kind of trying to gain the system, they they do have a number of helpers and characters in there that actually, you know, you, you can go to Arthur's Inn and hire him, and he will go around, you know, managing the weeding, managing the water and the plants. Mm. I mean, it'll cost you chocolate coins, but you know. It, they were, they were never that hard to come by, to be honest. 
Um, actually, the encyclopedia that they provide in-game is uh, very thorough. It's uh, I'm a little discouraged to use it because the menus are so slow to navigate, and there's loading screens in between each menu, and it kind of makes it a little bit of a chore. But you know, it, it does save you from having to go online and look up the Viva Pinata wikis. They they did a good job in Chopping Paradise of streamlining the menus as well. See, it used to be that if you wanted a seed, you'd need to go into the seed store. You need to go yeah. to that. You need to then buy the seed yeah. and then that. Um, rather than, yeah, I think if eventually you'd end up with a context. And if you if you were over the top of a soil, you could say, yeah. okay, well, this is the seed. And then just press, was it right or left bumper? And, mm-hmm. Right bumper. Yeah, and then just go through well, the infantry that you had. That in itself is painfully slow. It is, but it's <laughs> sort of clicking away. Come on! But um, if you go over a plant, at least you can, you know, go. Yes, I want the watering can, rather than going. Oh, I need to go in the menu pick watering yeah. can. <laughs> um, well, it was the fertilizer was the really irritating one. You had to go up to the shop and get it from the cat lady. But yeah, if it was, it's context sensitive, so if you hover over a, um, you know, a sapling or a, uh, a junior plant, you could then navigate through the. Fertilizer. In fact, once you'd unlocked the multicolored fertilizer and you were rich, you didn't care. You just stuck that on everything. Wasn't there a lot of um, D-pad sort of navigation menu things? Like it was shortcutted to the D-pad. Yeah. I seem to remember that happening as well. The in shovel is yeah, it was up or something, wasn't it? And, yeah, yeah there's a lot of that. very clever uh, design choices in Trouble in Paradise. I just kind of wish you know they, they had more time to do more. Yeah, four-player online co-op as well, which I played a bit of back in the day. God, how yeah, does that, that was- work? You have four people in in one garden, and you sounds all... like chaos. Um, yeah, but you obviously, if you're talking to each other, yeah, it depends. Depends who's in your game, eh? Yeah, and also the the thing that that the, the good thing about that is your um, your garden level would increase uh, much faster when you're playing it in cult or something with other people, and and anything they unlocked would then appear in that garden. So it's another way of speeding things up. Mm. It'd actually be nice. You could tell somebody to stand over here and guard my jack-o'-lanterns, make sure nothing eats them. I'll be out doing <laughs> yeah. other things. Yeah. It strikes me, we, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about having to micromanage the garden, and it's hard because I think taking that stuff, although just for fun mode is there, but I think taking that stuff out would make it less of a game. As, mm. as frustrating it is, you know, making sure, fencing off and penning stuff off, it, I mean, it's something to do. Um, if it was just growing your animals and let them play, I think that just for fun mode sounds perfect for that. But I, I do like the fact that you know this it's not a perfect ecosystem. Things will go wrong. You know, sours will yeah. come into mm-hmm. the garden, eat things. Sparrowman will eat worms. Um, <laughs> Once you get to the maximum gardener level, in even in the normal game, you effectively are playing the just for fun mode because you can turn all that stuff. You know, you've got yeah. your tower of sour, and that's permanent. So in every garden you create, you've got the same tower of sour. Um, and obviously, if you've already unlocked the dragon acre or the rhino or the limoceros or whatever it's called, then again, you can have that in every one of your gardens to keep Professor mm-hmm. Pester away. So you, you effectively are in control of the of the of the environment in every garden you create from that point onwards. So all the just for play mode does is basically give you max level garden and infinite coins. So it's you're right, it's creating that shortcut, but it's much more enjoyable to work up to that point yourself. Mm-hmm. And then even then, you know, every time you create a garden, you'll still get pester coming in, and then you can decide then because you have control as to whether you stick in a limoceros or the dragon to chase. I, think them I was around. looking online. There's there's even a a, a set pass of fence you can do where he can't actually get through <laughs> so like you can gain the uh, system it's the prickly pears he doesn't like the prickly pears yeah, so you can, so you can a line yeah and just you yeah you basically that's oh, why well, I, I did this um so you plant prickly pears around the outside of your garden with a fence one block in so basically um 
uh, and he always comes in from the same two directions, mm-hmm. so you don't have to do the entire garden. Um, so he basically can't get in then. So he, <laughs> you know, the prickly pears keep him out, and all the ruffians as well. You can also put a sword. I can't remember what it's called now, but there's a sword you can decorate your garden with. And uh, I think the banjo kazooie statue that also does something that scares away the the ruffians and probably looks wicked as well. Yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> it's holding a big golden jiggy. Damn right. Talking a lot about the about the kinds of consequences and about the constant management that this game requires, and actually, if if this game kind of backed down from a lot of the like constant attention you have to be paying to something at every given time, this could actually work quite well as a like a social game, like a Facebook game or a mobile game. I, I see the formula being adapted quite well. Yeah, that that kind of the the premise of the DS game could work quite well to a um. Yeah, that that you know that kind of social experience definitely. There's a lot that they could do a lot more with this game, you know. And I think the 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 hardware of the time was probably a limitation for all these social interactions and stuff. But yeah, I reckon there's a lot of um. But yeah, I kind of wish they went a bit more Animal Crossing with it, but you know, like proper. So I guess my my big overriding question um, to you guys, and it's a fascinating one, I personally think, is was it a success then? Because you know, Microsoft obviously decided this was going to be um, their their route into a fran- family friendly um, gaming environment. You know, it was a the pinatas themselves. I think are absolutely perfect for what they were trying to do. But do you think you know it was 
misjudged a little bit by Rare from for delivering this, or or were they spot on for giving um, something that was a little bit more depth to it and people would stick around? Because I I feel like the the older gamers, you know, I I enjoyed. It. I certainly I stuck around. I enjoyed the deeper mechanics of it. You know, when I was playing it, but and I, I know Gary, you know, you said that Imi, you know, she's she's enjoyed it too. Certainly, Traveling Paradise in, oh. in, in that one mode. But do you, do you think you know we did we haven't seen this series continue on it, it has been you know six to eight years you know since the initial conception of it um and there seems to be little you know word from rare that you know this is something that microsoft wishes to push forward again even with a bunch of new ideas so do you think it was a, a missed opportunity or just one that you know um just didn't quite succeed i think there's two aspects to it i think initially this was a rare game that was probably re-pitched to microsoft as something different um probably when Microsoft were looking for their studios to be hitting, um, you know, that fam, that young five to 11 year old dem- demographic. And that, you know, as Darren said earlier, you know, they, they had this game, you know, no doubt working, working on it on and off for some time. And it strikes me as a game that was repurposed for that particular audience. Um, and um, it, I've got to be, very critical of Microsoft here, but but they've shown this pattern for twenty years. They are very impatient. They never really give something enough time. You know, it's either got to be an instant hit with them, or they drop it like a hot potato. And they do it not just in video games; they do it with all their software. I mean, take uh, Media Center as a really good example. A lot of people bought into that piece of software, and they dropped it like a hot potato because it didn't it didn't sell in the numbers they wanted. And you've seen it time and time again with them, uh, and it's you know it's just how big corporations work. They they want monster hits, and it didn't achieve that. So I'm afraid it's 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 gone and never coming back. But do you think um, it's a franchise if they stuck with it, it could have? Yeah. Well, is it is it like if they should have just waited? You know, for that Skylanders moment. You know, if yeah, well, Skylanders was a slow starter. So um, that's the thing with toys. You see, appealing to children is more complex than just chucking out a TV show and a video game and hoping that that's that's enough. It's a slow build, and um, and it's something which you know um, Nintendo have always been pretty good at because they're a toy company, and Activision eventually got. I mean, they gave Skylanders the time really to do that. It wasn't until Giants that it really took off massively, um, but they were willing to give it the time to do that. Um, I don't think a company like Microsoft and the, the, the kind of corporate culture they have would ever give this the time. And a good example is, is actually look at Sony. They're still trying to push. You know, they're still doing. They're still backing Little Big Planet, which I mm. find astonishing <laughs> because that game sells probably worse than Vivi Pinata did. Um, but bless them, they keep they keep giving it a go. Mm. You know, they, it, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, and. It's just not the Microsoft way of doing things. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. That's just the way they, they operate. And this is probably the wrong franchise in for them. Yeah, I kind of think if this game came out, Viva Pinata came out during, you know, hypothetically during the, the N64 era or the GameCube era, you know, under, under Rare and Nintendo, I kind of feel like this series would get a better yeah. treatment. It would be, you know, Nintendo would cherish it a lot more and they'd probably put a more of a toy aspect to it. Yeah, a bit like Animal Crossing. They wouldn't have gone that route. They would have. It would have been nurtured like an Animal Crossing it's, game. Talking about nurture, I, I'd read some fantastic. Uh, I can't remember who the quote was soon, but it was someone within Rare talking about how the difference working under Microsoft versus the difference with Nintendo. And it's they didn't realise at the time until they were brought out. And Microsoft basically said, "Okay, 
make the games that you made for Nintendo. You know, just make, <laughs> you know, you were a success there. We want you to recreate that. And from either a, a you know, a positive or a negative thing, Microsoft apparently just took took a massive step back and just said, there's the money, go make the games. And it was at that point, after about a year of development, apparently a lot of their titles, that they realised what had actually happened was Nintendo had, they had such close connections with Nintendo mm. that, it, although they didn't realise this at the time, Nintendo were actually influencing the way that they were designing games because they would come back and there'd be feedback because, you know, it's a software company. You know, this is what they've been doing all those years and they would suggest things and there'd be a more organic approach where, you know, Microsoft coming into that industry at the time were just going, well, you know, make the game and not really understanding how at that time those games were made. And, you know, maybe that is one of the things you've seen rare kind of lack. They've had to kind of build up mm. from the ground up again and, and become a company of themselves. It's kind of like they just come in, like Gary said earlier, they want instant hits. So they've just come in and gone, press the win button, please. And mm-hmm. then, you know, just sat back and wait for it, wait for it to happen. I mean, really, they should have looked at rare's sort of declining quality since, you know, at the end of the N64 era and kind of, Maybe they give them more guidance because, like, let's face it, Mickey Speedway USA and Star Fox Adventures aren't, you know, the the, the fondest of rare games in my memories. Uh, so yeah, Nintendo definitely had a massive influence over their games. Like, you, um, I think GoldenEye is one of uh, a massive example how it was kind of like, you know, took a. I think Nintendo looked at it and went, well, how about it's not an on rails game? How about you make it, a, you know, um, more like a, you know, a first person shooter and stuff like that. So yeah, I think that's an expensive lesson learned, really, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Although I, I feel like if this came out post Farmville, then it would actually be doing better than it did at the specific time at which it was launched. Like I feel like there is a there's more of an audience for this type of thing now than there was back in two thousand five, mm. two thousand eight. It wasn't marketed as that type of game though, that's the other I mean, as you as you rightly say, I mean these days there's ten thousand of these type of games on mobile. Um but it it um you know, it wasn't pitched as that. It was pitched as you know, this sort of kiddie-friendly um, play play fun games with characters, and it and neither of the two core games were were that really. They were they were as I said, they were quite the opposite. In fact, you create your own characters in it. They weren't character-based games at all. Yet the the way they were marketed and the subsequent TV show and yeah, party animals, that, so, yeah. yeah, that's that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, as I said, this came out at the same time as things like um, you mentioned earlier, CNET. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a, you're in the movies as well, and it, there was there was a whole there was a period of like about eighteen months, two years, where Microsoft were, were pumping out a lot of these family titles because it seems to be the trend with um, video game consoles, particularly in the last sort of two generations, where they go for the core audience to start with, and once they know they've got you know x number of million, I don't know, ten million, let's say, they know that they've got the core audience sewn up, they then move on to the family audience. So I fully expect. Um, Sony to start, well, they're already starting to drop hints of doing this. Um, you know, now they've hit their their ten million. They're now looking to think, well, okay, well, who's the, what are the, where are the next ten million going to come from? Yeah. And they'll start making games that appeal to that audience. And this is basically what Microsoft were doing here. But unfortunately, they didn't. You know, although you know the three games I mentioned, I really liked seeing it box office smash as well. That was a brilliant game. Um, and they had the, those uh, brilliant little controller things and stuff. But again, they didn't stick with them because they didn't sell in the numbers they wanted. And then, you know, Kinect came along and they saw that as the means of grabbing that audience. So, uh, you know, this game was then, this series was just not given a chance beyond that point. And it, it, it you know, who's, who knows what would happen if it had been independently published or published by Nintendo. I mean, I feel with Nintendo, Nintendo just 
go with the flow, didn't they? They would have brought out ten of these games before they gave up. Yeah. But um, still doing Mario Party. <laughs> no, joke, joke. Yeah. <laughs> I also feel like Viva Pinata had a very uh, difficult time defining its own image, uh, especially launching yeah. at the same time as the TV show, where the pinatas were like speaking characters, and then you put in the game, and they are animals, and so it's like I don't know who the developers think these these pinatas are i don't well so once again the marketing against right. the the actual game itself yeah. it wouldn't be yeah. the first time we've seen that yeah they were they were the complete opposites as i said you in the v pinata you create your own characters you dress them up you personalize them you give them names whereas the tv show was trying to create characters out of those species um those characters were not present in the two games so it was there were two completely different things. I'm trying to repurpose it, mm. you know, in a in a different way. As I said, it just felt to me that that's you know that's how it probably went down. You know, it was like okay, we've got this this cool game, and then like how can we now fit it into this campaign that Microsoft want to run? Guaranteed, if it has come out maybe three years ago, it'd be you know a version of Connect Malls in there as well. So you'd be playing with your pinatas via Connect. Funny you should say that. That's what they wanted to do with Connect Malls as well, mm. and of course they went down the soft toy route with that. Um, and it didn't do too well, which is a shame because I really like that game as well. Yeah, I like <laughs> so. it. Right, so uh, as we like to do, uh, I think we've, we've talked a fair bit about uh, the basics and the, the advanced mechanics of the game. Um, mm. We're going to head to our community for their feedback on the game. Um, so, Ryan, do you want to tackle Electric Crocosaurus? Yeah, absolutely. Electric Crocosaurus says, Viva Pinata was probably the game that I played the most in my first year of my Xbox 360's life. The visuals were perfect for showing what HD could look like, and thanks to some brilliant animation, lush sound design, and charm to spare, it was almost as much joy to watch as it was to play. Viva Pinata, and its sequel, is the sort of game that seems to have died out. Sandboxes where you're simply encouraged to play and have fun. The challenge comes from making sure that your pinatas are happy, which in turn encourages you to try different combinations of plants and arrangements. Indeed, the point at which the game started to frustrate me was when they introduced enemies that had adverse effects. This seemed unnecessary, and this served only to undo the work that I had put in to raise my piñatas and cultivate my garden. I don't have any children yet, but when I do, Viva Piñata is exactly the sort of game that I'll be using for their first steps into video gaming. If you allow me one little rant, it's a shame that they aren't more Viva Piñatas around as the market for this kind of family entertainment seems to have been hijacked by shovelware and free-to-play non-games online. Yeah, I think we covered that. That is, that is the case. All I would say to that is check out Skylanders and Disney Infinity because they are exactly that sort of game. Yeah, I think they're an evolution of it. I'd, um, yeah. I was, I'd, Rare haven't... I, I feel like Rare haven't given up on this entirely on this franchise. There's, there's always rumblings, but I think of recent, they've been talking about, even Microsoft said... You know, they they don't feel that the series is you know completely dead. There may be something. I think it's just them, you know, posturing to the the crowd that are desperate for a, you know some rare old even even old new rare titles to come <laughs> back. Anything that aren't avatars. So I wouldn't rule it out, but I would I would be panicky that they would introduce some of the more kind of uh, commercial elements. God, could you imagine having to pay for pinata? Uh, quite easily. Yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to mention actually earlier was that uh, had this game come out today, today, I do fear it would have been DLC. just littered with microtransactions. No. Yeah, well, it probably would have had plastic little figures. That's what I would expect. That 
It would have possibly had classic figures, yeah, but I think it would have, you know, spend a pound to get a thousand coins. Yeah, spend mm-hmm. 50 hours for uh, getting a late game pinata or unlock it for one ninety nine. It's a reality. Um, Gary, do you want to tackle Catatonic Gnarly's post? Yep, I said, I love Viva Pinata. It's a game absolutely bringing, brimming with charm, developed by a studio who are virtually impossible to dislike. The graphical style looks gorgeous, and it's back, all backed by Grant Kirkhope's wonderful and perfectly fitting music. Even recently playing Trouble in Paradise, which was over five years old at the time, I couldn't help notice how good the graphics look. They don't seem to have aged at all, unlike most games. The gameplay is also a treat. On one hand, you can play very casually, not really paying much attention to the goals and just let things take their course. On the other hand, if you want to skin, sink your teeth in this fairly complex management sim under the surface, things very quickly get out of hand if you try to take on too many tasks at once. And I find if you really want to achieve anything, master romancing a specific species or attracting a less common piñata to your garden, for example, it's best to detach yourself from everything else in the garden and focus only on that task. And the introduction of sour piñatas, weeds, ruffians, and that t- Professor Plester only add to the stress levels. I really enjoyed this balance of slightly stressful gameplay offset against incredibly relaxing look and soundtrack. Trouble in Paradise was similar enough to the original game to have all the goodness, but added a few new features to justify a second game. For me, playing Viva Piñata brings that sense of warmth and fuzziness that I really find outside of Nintendo's first-party games. And that's saying something from someone who is usually fairly cynical and joyless. More interested in the darker and dramatic side of things. Yeah, well said. <laughs> Very well said. Uh, we haven't mentioned the music uh, hardly at all. Uh, and this is another Grant Kirkhope score, as we mentioned before, but it's, uh, it's very calming and soothing music. It, it's very different from his uh, Banjo-Kazooie mm. output, his Donkey Kong 64, and even more recently, his Mickey Mouse and the Castle of Illusion type of uh, music he's most famous for. But it, it, is, uh, it has a lot of joy to it, a lot of, a lot of bounce for such like a natural, lush score. The sign for a good soundtrack is if I ask you a question and you can remember how it sounds. So, mm. Darren, a piñata enters your garden. What does it do? <laughs> it goes... It's very yeah. Sunday. It's very Sunday. The whole thing is very like, just chill out, just relax. It's fine, man. It's Sunday, just chill. It's great. Mm. Yeah, it's a very good soundtrack. And... Uh, when I see images of it online and stuff, that that not not me doing it so poorly, but um, that noise plays in my head over and over and over again. And it's uh, yeah, Grant Kirkhope, guy's a genius. Yes, I think we said that quite a few times on Game of Rinse, so yeah. maybe it's one of those ones we just skip. Yes, he is. His music score is brilliant. Um, but uh, along with the visuals and. and uh, Katsong and Ali talks a little bit, obviously, about the visuals there, which we have gone over. But it it is important to say they are you know beautiful. They are you know bright and colourful, and um, you know the the fur on the piñatas aren't just fur; they're they are the lumps of little, I guess they're tags, aren't they? Like you would know, mm. yeah, the paper, the paper from real piñatas. I find it weird because you know, right? You're American, and mm-hmm. I assume you know piñatas are a thing in America. Yeah, absolutely. They're not really a thing in the UK. No kidding. No. I guess we have a uh, we have Mexico right here, which is kind of where yeah. that tradition came from, probably. So um, for for it being uh, developed in you know thought of and developed in the UK, piñatas just aren't a thing. Um, Viva haggis. 
They could do a Viva they, they, Haggis. They, they've become more of a thing nowadays because, you know, we've taken so much from America or, you know, Mexico. Really? I don't think I've ever seen one. I have. I've been to a couple of kids' parties and I think it's more the action of hitting something with a big stick which appeals rather than... Oh, and the sweets. That does. But, yeah, you can get them. But for it to be developed and designed and thought of in the UK... Uh, it's just weird because, you know, before that game, I was like, what's, what's a piñata? I, I don't know. <laughs> and the uh, the um, Mexican and Latin American artistic influences kind of surround the entire game, like every single thing, uh, kind of like a guacamole. Um, mm-hmm. The trees are all patterned with very kind of, um, I, I don't really know how to contextualize another language to use to describe it, but it's kind of like uh, Day of the Dead, um, type patterns and uh things that are more common in like latin american art i'd also say that the, yeah putting it all into one the world building is is pretty competent isn't it it's not it's not overly hard to create a lake in your garden it's not overly hard to sow new seeds and plant flowers and you know all that stuff works as as expected but also you know rather well for a game not played with a play without a mouse it's uh yeah, um, the, the 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 workaround they have for playing it on a you know twin thumbsticks is genius, you know. And a lot of games have actually copied that now. I mean, if you play um, Tropico three or four, um, they basically use the same thing, you know, the sort of halo that you move around and then interact with the environment using that. And how does your your daughter get on with the world? In- Easy, yeah, 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 no problem at all. Yeah, she's absolutely fine. It's just a case of sort of teaching um, because uh, she. She can read some words, but obviously some words uh, she can't. So it's just a case of uh, you know teaching her where how to do certain things. But she understands all the buttons and everything. As I said, she can she can play kids these days at five can play Minecraft. It's scary. <laughs> so <laughs> um, Viva Pinata is probably a come down if anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I already know my twenty-two month old girls can open that iPhone and iPad just like that. Oh, yeah. Just press the button, you swoop this thing at the bottom. Job done. You're in. It is actually very intuitive to play oh, yeah. outside of the menus. I think that's where it starts to fall down. But even I was surprised that kids could they could navigate that because because they do it by choosing the characters. So let's see if we can sum up this stuff with uh, three words, or our community to sum up uh, the game in just three words with our three word re- reviews. Ahead, Darren. Linda Thompson Jones says, "Paper Garden Evolution." Scruffy the Janitor says, Amazingly colourful sandbox. David Merritt said, Wonderful but clumsy. Jerome McIntosh, Colourful, serene, excellence. Stephen Thompson-Jones says, Hours beautifully lost. SMW says, Limitations spoil excellence. Reuben Cornell says, Family-friendly frustration. I like that one. <laughs> That's true. Ah, and now they've summed up with three words. Let's see if we can sum it up succinctly ourselves. So, uh, Darren, would you like to lead the way with your summary of Viva Pinata? Yeah, as a as a massive rare fanboy, you know, of, of of the N64 era, this game came as quite a shock to me. Even though I did see it in a very early alpha state, you know, um, I think most of Rare's output on the 360 was a shock. You know, Perfect Dark Zero, <laughs> um, Banjo Kazooie, Nuts and Bolts. You know, it's all kind of like. This is not what I want from this this company, and that you know it still kind of goes on today. But having played it, I do, I do think the game is an absolute joy to behold in front of you, uh, you know, visually, audibly, and and to control. The, the, we mentioned the UI before, but I think once you get over the initial overwhelming information overload and you know the, the menus to flick through, I think the game is is for me one of the best sort of god game 
you know, sim type games out there. It's just full of charm, wit, you know, in, in its text and uh, characters. It's 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 a rare game, you know, and I, I do think it's it's a very very good one. Just um, just not one that you probably expect from the studio. Uh, so yeah, I'd recommend playing it. Uh, Trouble in Paradise, definitely. Um, learning that you know, if you boot it up from scratch, you do get a tutorial. That's 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 information well learnt because <laughs> I, I do feel like they threw you in the deep end coming back to it recently. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely play this game. It is um, it is an absolute charmer. Yeah, um, hmm. this is the type of game that I I feel like I am the perfect audience for. Like I, I really like these uh, beautiful artistic experiences, things that are a little bit more kind of. Uh, I just sit back in your chair and enjoy an afternoon in this lovely garden. But I, I found myself not really getting along with this replaying it, and it kind of brought up a lot of memories of playing it for the first time again and experiencing a lot of the same frustrations that the amount that it throws at you, the I guess level of just like constant attention that the garden requires to achieve certain goals, um, the amount that things absolutely fall apart when you just uh, look away from the screen for a moment, it was a little bit too much for me. And so, you know, perhaps I am not the right type of gamer for this type of game but um yeah i, I just I, I found myself not really having the kind of fun that i expected to have coming back to it and i feel like there is a lot of potential here and this is the kind of game that i would like to i would like to experience again as a little bit more passive an experience which is uh um not something i would say about most video games uh but if this was something more like like an extreme example, if this is more like a aquarium screensaver, something I could just watch and something that I can just watch uh, these animals migrate their way into my garden and populate and fight among once one another, then I, I might enjoy it more. But I, I found myself not really getting along with it this time around. And so I'd have a, a, a difficult time recommending it to people who want to pick it up now. But... Um, I will say that if they did come back with something in this series for the Xbox One or even better for PC or mobile devices, then absolutely, yeah, I'd hop back on board. And I think that the types of things that we've learned, especially about these this very specific type of game in the last five years, uh, would really benefit the experience. And uh, I think it would be a much more streamlined and accessible and... Uh, um, it's a better experience all around if they decided to revisit it. Interesting. Uh, Gary? Uh, probably the complete opposite <laughs> of Ryan. Um, I had to literally tear myself away from playing it this weekend um, because I knew it's a bit like uh, if I start playing Minecraft, it's dangerous and it, it becomes all-consuming. And, uh, and I certainly know that I sat down to just give it a sort of quick try and I think I sank about three or four hours into it and that was before I then gave the disc to my daughter just so that I couldn't do it anymore um it yeah I mean I love the series I love uh, the first Viva Pinata and especially Trouble in Paradise these this is the sort of game that I I go into you know up to my neck really and uh, will play for weeks and hours absolutely doing nothing if I'm honest with you just fiddling around my garden or 
or um, yeah, just you know, discovering a new pinata and seeing what tricks I can do with it or what uh, what colours I can turn it. You know, having a uh, all of my gardens having a little vegetable patch where I can grow <laughs> different plants and different uh, veggies ready for when the pinatas come in, and I can try them all. And so, you know, experimentation, creativity. Um, that's my thing. It's why I love DA Create. That's why I like, you know, I, I just love these sort of, uh, what I call a sandbox game, which is where you can just go in and design something you... True sandbox, yeah. Yeah, you're using your creativity. And uh, uh, yeah, I if you're if that sounds cool to you and you've not played Viva Pinata, you know, if you like The Sims or if you like, uh, if you like things like Tropico or, or if you liked Farmville, you know, if those are the sorts of games that you like playing, then I think you would get a lot of satisfaction out of playing this. And I... Honestly, for a six-year-old game, it doesn't feel dated at all. Um, the only, you know, aside is the UI is a bit cludgy, but other than that, I I think it's a wonderful game. And for me, it's um, Rare's high point um, since Microsoft acquired them. Um, and I would, and that's praise indeed because I love nuts and bolts as well for the same reasons, in fact. Um, so, uh, yeah, I I couldn't recommend it enough. But I completely understand where Ryan's coming from. You have to be a certain type of... You have to appreciate or enjoy a certain type of game to really get the most out of it. Uh, is it something that you're going to probably stick with with your daughter? Are you, you know, Is it something yep. now that's in a, a playlist rotation and she's probably going to play with it for a, you know, six months or so? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, she played a little bit tonight. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's that she'll go back to. And I, and I think the interesting thing will be to see whether she starts to adapt how she plays it and whether she starts to try to actually get the piñatas rather than dress them up you know, yeah. dress them up yeah and would you be willing to to let her into the full full game mode or is that you know, a bit further at down the line at some point i mean uh, she only plays minecraft in peaceful as well and there is a thing with little kids they don't like uh they don't like to be punished in games they don't like that sort of carrot and stick approach um and they as i said to you earlier they just like to explore mm-hmm. to see what they can achieve and do um, there will be a point, I think, where she'll want more challenge. And at that point, that's when I'd progress to that. Interesting. Um, yeah, from my point of view, it's it's quite a weird one because, on one hand, I'm I'm not into any of those types of games. You know, I I've tried Civ multiple times and, and failed. I, f- I find it a bit too inappropriate. Even Civ Revolution. Um, I've tried, you know, Sims, and I get quickly bored with that. Uh, you know, even Animal Crossing, I, I've been and played and, and put, you know, an hour's worth in and, and just never got the that hook. Yet Viva Piñata, it, it achieves that that goal, which is getting me to play one of these, these types of games um, and actually stick with it for not just, you know, 10 hours, stick with it for hundreds of hours and really getting involved with it. Um, part of me feels ashamed to have not maybe played the game to its fullest strength so as you know listening to gary just talking about you know what i'm just going to create a pond and if liquor toads come in the garden great but you know i i was definitely on the on the mindset of okay well i want to achieve everything in this game i need to tick all the boxes i'm going to go down that route and i've probably you know, spoiled the game for me uh, myself going down that route but you know i i still had fun i i still enjoyed all the the romance stuff i you know the dancing and um the visuals and, and the sound and the music but I also agree with Ryan in another respect that I think it's a game that if if it was developed now the the menu system clearly would be streamlined. I think we've you know taken a lot from that. A bit more power for the you know the 360 was a powerful system, but you do feel like you're hitting the buffer of that and it and it prevents other stuff. And, you know it's a little bit clunky in areas. But um, as Gary said, it it doesn't feel like it's a 
you know, a, a very old game. It, it works perfectly, you know, fine for now. Um, and I feel like I really need to just go into just for fun mode um, after the show and, and just mess around and just enjoy it for what it is. Um, but what I will say is that it reminds me of a time when, you know, I, I, I don't want to get this political of, you know, Microsoft being off track, but it reminds me of the time when Microsoft were willing to throw money at, you know, experimental games like this. Okay, they may have had a, a goal in the end of, you know, be, it being a big family friendly game and it was going to make a millions. But it's nice to see, you know, instead of just pumping money towards, you know, exclusivity franchises and stuff, actually just saying, well, we're going to invest it in our, in our, you know, our studios, our homegrown talent, and we're going to produce games from that. And it's, uh, you know, I like them. I would like them to get back on track and do exactly that because then you have games like Viva Pinata, which you know, isn't really like anything else in their portfolio, and it isn't actually, you know, if I think across its other competitors' platforms, you know, it's it's pretty. I want to say unique is a, a stupid word, but you know, it's it's pretty unique. So, you know, I, yeah, I, I like the fact that it was it was rare being rare, and you know, it's it's just sad to see where they are now versus what they were creating, you know, just six years ago. Um, I would say, I personally think Trouble with Paradise is should be your entry point to the series. Uh, it's streamlined in a, a lot of cases, and. You know, the first one, you know, it, it, having played that as well, it is very clunky now. So, uh, enter uh, Trouble in Paradise, and I, and I think, you know, you'll, you'll know after the first two or three hours whether it's something that you want to stick with. Um, I certainly enjoyed going back to it. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a... Give it a shot. <laughs> From all of us. Just give it a shot. All right, so I'd like to thank Darren... Ryan and Gary uh, for appearing on this episode and Gary for appearing in the very last moment as well. He got a few days notice um, and now getting his daughter addicted on uh, Viva Pinata, which is no bad thing. But as I said to you when you invited me, it's funny because it was only like a couple of days before that I'd suggested to her to play it. So it's weird how these things happen mm. sometimes. So next time in issue 144, the much appreciated and delayed Kane and Rinse analysis of The Last of Us. It was delayed because purely... We all knew that there was going to be a remastered version coming out. It was a terribly kept secret. So it, it's come out. The guys that are on the show have all played it and messed around with it. So there will be uh, a full show on that, including the new stuff of what they achieved in the remastered edition. And I, I know that's a much requested one. So, yeah, that will be next week, issue 144. Thank you for listening to Game Rinse. Mm-hmm.